In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to encourage the local church by admonishing the local church. He's admonishing the local church toward unity, and he says over and over again, unity happens through maturity. You will be unified as you grow more mature in the faith, as you increase your knowledge, not just about Christ, but in Christ. And as you are wise with that knowledge, using that knowledge for the purpose of love, edification, rather than being puffed up in that knowledge, because knowledge by itself, it puffs up. But love edifies. And we desire to be a community not merely of knowledge, but of knowledge in love. And, and Paul is always going back to that now. Like in every paragraph, he's going back to that. Don't just be puffed up in your knowledge. Don't just be puffed up in your religion, your know-how. Don't just be puffed up in your generation. Don't just be puffed up in your humanity. Don't just be puffed up in the, in the things that you do. But love one another. Wait for one another as you come together to eat. When you practice the spiritual gifts, practice those for the edification of the church, not as some sign that you are super Christian or super spiritual. And we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 concerning the use of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. The big idea we see here is that this appointing, this giving of spiritual gifts, which Paul has already gotten at in chapter 12, the distribution of spiritual gifts and the withholding of spiritual gifts, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, God has appointed in the church. God gifts, and he expands that and says, but God has appointed you to the function you were meant for. And we, we know our function in the local church because of the, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed and withheld. And God is the one who appoints points individuals, members within the church to particular functions. We will start in verse 27 and we'll work our way through verse 31 this morning. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. How many times have we heard that so far in chapter 12? A few, right? And Paul repeats himself again. He definitely wants us to take hold of this. He wants us to grasp this. He wanted the Corinthians to know this. You are a local church body. You are a group. You are a community. And you are part of the body of Christ universally. This is what you are. 
You are not a lone wolf Christian. Lone wolf Christianity doesn't make any sense because to be a Christian is to be part of the body of Christ. And every member in the body of Christ functions as part of a whole, not as someone by him or her self. So you are Christ's body. You are a group. This is not an individualistic sort of religion. This is not an individualistic movement to be in Christ is to be part of his body. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Again, not acting on your own, but acting with the rest of the body in unison with the rest of the body. And every member of the body complements the other members of the body. So whatever gifts the Holy Spirit withholds from me, he gives to someone else so that we complement one another, right? And that's how the whole body works. And we complement one another and using our spiritual gifts, we edify and honor one another rather than condemning one another because of what we lack. Instead, we are honored and God put the body together this way. This is what we've read previously in 1 Corinthians. God puts the body together in this way so that those who are lacking are honored rather than condemned or complained about. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. Who has appointed? Well, well, pastor, the congregation has a business meeting and appoints deacons and elders and calls a pastor according to the congregation's preferences. That's not what I read here. Well, the elders get together and decide what they think is absolutely the best. That's not what I read here either. I read here that God has appointed in the church. Whose job is it to appoint people within the church for whatever purpose? God takes that responsibility for himself here. And when Paul lists these things out, he's referring to more than just spiritual gifts. He's referring to functions within the church. Look at this list. Apostles, prophets, teachers. Like, those are functions within the church that are dependent on the spiritual gift, either of apostleship, whatever that a spiritual gift is, uh, the spiritual gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of teaching. Like, those are functions in the church that depend on those spiritual gifts. So Paul says, God takes it upon himself to appoint people to those functions within the church. And remember, Paul's not just writing to those who fill the apostolic office here, right? In fact, he's not writing to those who fill the apostolic office at all. He's writing to the local church at Corinth about what the local church at Corinth is to be and do. And that makes this even more interesting when Paul says God has appointed in the church, God has in the church, in your local church, Corinth, first apostles. Second, prophets. And Paul's writing this to the local church like this is something that should be normative. Like you are to have apostles in your congregation. You are to have prophets in your congregation. You are to have teachers in your congregation. And then miracles are those who affect miracles. And then healings, those who actually do healings, cure people, and helps those who have the spiritual gift of helps, whatever that is. And those who have the spiritual gift of administrations and various kinds of tongues. Like this is normative for 
your congregation. And he affirms this and he, he even legitimizes like these, these are real spiritual gifts and real functions that people are to have within the local church at Corinth, people who do not fill the apostolic office, which is very interesting to me. And God's the one who appoints, which means for the local church body, it's not up to us to say, this is where I need you to be and this is where I need you to serve, even if you're not good at it. Somebody's got to do it, right? It's, it's not up to us to do that. It's also not up to us to say, no, we don't need that kind of ministry here. That, that's what you're suited for. Why don't you, why don't you go on down to, to maybe that, that charismatic church down there because they actually do stuff like that. And if that's where you feel like you're gifted, maybe, maybe that's a better place for you to be. But Paul here, he, he just tells us, you know, every local church, legitimate local church, eventually is going to be well-rounded and God's the one who appoints. It's almost as, as like, as if, almost as like, almost as if Paul wrote previously, you cannot say to someone, I'm... I'm an eye and you're a foot, so I don't need you. Something like that. Paul didn't write that previously, did he? Yes, he did. No, we can't say to anyone who's part of the body of Christ, I don't need you because God has designed his church to be well-rounded and God is the one who appoints people. So it's, it's our job then, it's our responsibility as Christians, as members of the body of Christ and as members of a local church to recognize the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives others and to affirm their calling in Christ, what God has appointed them to, the service that God has given them within the local church, and do everything we possibly can to equip and train them for the ministry God has called them to. And Paul wrote something like that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. Not 1 Corinthians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, where he actually tells the elders, hey, train the saints. God has given you to train the saints, equip the saints, everyone for the work of ministry. What ministry? For the ministry God has called that person to. So then this responsibility falls primarily on the elders of the church. Recognize the spiritual gifts of those within the congregation and honor, honor the fact that God has appointed them to some ministry within the church that are reflected by their spiritual gifts. We don't say, no, I don't like that person. Or no, that person doesn't really fit in. Because God's the one who does the appointing. And if we do not honor God's calling on others' lives, what are we even doing trying to be the church? So God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then, then miracles, then then gifts of feelings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. You see a hierarchy here in the text of some kind? There seems to be a hierarchy here. Uh, Paul uses this language first and second and then. Um, what do you think this hierarchy is? Are some gifts more important than others? Uh, well, Paul, previous, this is the previous passage. This was last week, right? <laughs> Paul said, we honor those who seem like they're lacking when it comes to spiritual gifts. 
We honor them, we lift them up, we edify them. In fact, it's, it's not really your perception that matters. You consider some spiritual gifts to be more important than others, but God doesn't think like that. He works according to his purposes, not yours. And if he withholds a gift, it's because he has done it, not because a person is, is actually you know, lacking. In fact, the, the fact that you have spiritual gifts isn't because there's something even important about you. So I don't think that's the kind of hierarchy Paul is getting at here. Uh, I think instead this is chronological. Uh, Paul planted quite a few churches in his day. And he says, first, there are appointed in the church apostles. Well, if Paul, apostle here is, is taken to mean what the word like literally translated in English means, missionary, right? Apostle, apostolos means missionary in English. That's the direct translation there. If it's taken to mean that, well, that makes sense if Paul is getting at chronology here. God has appointed in the church first missionaries. Well, before you have a local church, what do you have? You have somebody out there sharing the gospel. So, so their heart is so burdened to share the gospel and get the gospel out, and they cannot keep silent. This is, this is a missionary. And then when a missionary has done the missionary's work, evangelism, a local church is formed because people have heard the gospel, they believe the gospel, they come together in Christian community. And after the apostle, the missionary, has done his work, Second, prophets. Well, this makes sense too. After you have a congregation form, what's, what's the very first thing you, you need with a new congregation? Somebody to preach the word of God, to proclaim the word of the Lord. And that's what a prophet does. Old Testament and New Testament like, the prophet stands before the people and proclaims the word of the Lord. Third, teachers. Well, if a prophet does his work well, Believers will grow into maturity, they will grow in knowledge, and teachers will come up out of the congregation. It seems to be chronological to me. They hear the proclamation of the Word of God and then become capable of discipling others, teaching others, counseling others, having deep biblical conversations with others. We want and we, we want others in the congregation to have that spiritual gifts other than, other than the preacher, right? Then, and then all this other stuff, right? Miracles and healings and helps and administrations and various kinds of tongues. Like, like those are on the back end of this equation, chronologically speaking. I want to walk through each of these and consider them this morning. Apostle, I've already mentioned, just directly translated means missionary here. This and Paul's paragraph here does not refer to those who filled the apostolic office. Those who filled an apostolic office uh, could only be those who met certain qualifications, like meeting Christ face to face. Paul is an apostle. He fills the apostolic office to the Gentiles because he met Christ on the road to Damascus. The other 12 walked with Jesus. He taught them bodily in person, the 12 apostles to the Jews. So that would be the apostolic office. No one today living on the earth fills the apostolic office. Only 13 men will ever hold that office forever. So when Paul is talking about apostles here within the congregation, he's talking about missionaries. Those who have the spiritual gift of evangelism and those who cannot keep silent about the gospel in their communities outside the church. 
And remember, this gift is meant for the edification of the church body. How does the spiritual gift of evangelism, which is the spiritual gift of modern-day apostles, missionary, how does that spiritual gift edify the church? Well, through evangelism, people are brought into the body of Christ and people are brought into the local church so that they might grow into maturity and exercise their spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. Growth, numerical growth, is for the edification of the church. It is a good thing. It is not to be idolatrized, but it is a very good thing because God has given the spiritual gift of evangelism to some, and those people are our missionaries. And a missionary is not necessarily someone who goes overseas and evangelizes over there and then comes back home and is lazy right, or someone who goes to live somewhere else, but from within the congregation, missionaries come and they stay here and do evangelism for the edification of the local church, the glory of the Father, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. That's what a modern-day apostle is, those who are to be found within the congregation of Christ. Second, there are prophets Well, who are the prophets who are to be found within the body of the church at Corinth? We get weird pictures in our minds when we think about modern-day prophets, don't we? We do. Uh, You told me a story one time, but I won't tell it here. Um, (laughs) Modern-day prophet seems like a weird thing, but let's consider what a prophet is. In the Old Testament, God would give his word to the prophet, It was special, new revelation. The prophet would stand before Israel or before Israel's king, and he would say, this is the word of the Lord, and he would declare the word of the Lord. Declare there, meaning the word of the Lord was being spoken for the first time through human lips. It was new revelation from God. We're just reading through 1 Corinthians so far, and this was in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul has already instructed the church, do not exceed what is already written. We figuratively apply these things to ourselves so that you do not exceed what is written, so that you may learn not to exceed what is written. So a New Testament prophet, though filling the same role as an Old Testament prophet, putting forth the word of the Lord, doesn't declare the word of the Lord, meaning this is new revelation. Instead, he proclaims, or she, as we learn, proclaims the word of the Lord, which has already been written. So modern-day prophets exposit the word of God, read through the word of God, preach the word of God. These are the men who fill our pulpits every week. These are the men and women who sing before us. Teaching is involved in prophesying, but not all teaching is prophesying. Paul here says third teachers, like the spiritual gift of teaching, those who have the spiritual gift of teaching are those who are capable of counseling others. And it seems to come naturally as a spiritual gift, capable of counseling others, knowledgeable enough to counsel others, to maybe teach in a conversational setting, even if they're even if they're not great at preaching, at prophesying, at monologuing the word of God, this is a spiritual gift. And then, miracles. Miracles. Can I say this word in the Greek? Would you let me say this word in the Greek? I really want to say this Greek word. 
And maybe you can tell me what English word this sounds like. Uh, can we do that? Dynamis or, or dunamis. But dynamis gets it closer to the English that we derive from it. And what does that sound like? Dynamic. Sounds like dynamic. It sounds like dynamite, which explodes. Okay? And that gets us pretty close to what the Greek word means. Dunamis means strong, powerful, a strong and powerful display. So someone who affects miracles is someone who in some way makes known the power, the explosiveness of God. And I don't know, so this is different than like we think of miracles. We think of someone who affects miracles as someone who comes in and heals, but notice that Paul has separated like miracles and healing here, and he's done that for a reason, because miracles, uh, when Paul refers to it, it's not the, not the same kind of miracles we think of today. When he says miracles, it's someone who makes the power, the strength of God known. Then he says the gifts of healings. Healings here is different. That does just mean curing. So that's different from miracles, which is displaying the strength of God, whether that's raw physical power or something else. He also refers to gifts of healings. Healings here does mean curing someone, and I don't know if that's miraculous or like providential, like if doctors have gifts of healings. I think it's probably both of those, either miraculous healings or not, but healings is a different spiritual gift from evangelism. And so when people practice the gift of healing, it is not for the purpose of evangelism. And, and there are quite a few people, primarily in the Word of Faith movement, um, those uh, who consider themselves maybe prosperity preachers who resort to healing or, or even faking it, right? Who resort to healing as a tool to practice evangelism. And so they'll go out and they'll heal people in order to attract people in. But that's not the purpose we receive here. Healing is a d different gift altogether from evangelism or the, the gift of apostleship uh, being a missionary, being an evangelist, uh, healing is something different there. And healing is given not for the purpose of evangelism or anything related to that. Instead, healing is given for the edification of the local church. And if healing is being used for any other purpose than the edification of the local church, it's probably not a legitimate gift. At least it's not being used in a legitimate way. And so again, I don't know if healing here is miraculous or providential. I think it's probably some combination of both. But even doctors, I think God has given them the spiritual gift of, of healing. But I think there could be a supernatural aspect to that as well. The gift of helps. Does anyone have any clue what the gift of helps is? I'm not going to pronounce this Greek word, but I will refer to the Greek because the definition is, is there. The definition of the Greek word that's translated helps here is simply lending a helping hand. Have you ever met a Christian, someone within the body of Christ, someone within the local church, who just has a sense of always aware, like of other people, and always looking out for anyone who like needs help and is the first person to like jump in there and help whoever needs help. That's the spiritual gift of helps here. There are people specially gifted by the Holy Spirit for that, and there are people who are not. And remember, the Holy Spirit <laughs> distributes gifts according to his 
will. Not everyone is going to be like that, but the Holy Spirit is going to cause some to be that way. Hey, it's nagging at like, oh, that person looks like he needs help. I need, I need to go over there and help this person. And then they're good at helping, right? They don't just get in the way. They're actually good at helping. Then there's the gift of administration, the spiritual gift of administration. This is a word that refers to governance. Uh, the administration of Rome was the government of Rome. So this word refers to the governance of the local church, which is a responsibility given to the elders of the church. So not every elder will be good at prophesying. We'll have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but there are two gifts every elder of the church will have, that of teaching and that of administration, because they are to manage the house of God well, like they manage their households well. They are to have the gift of administration, managing the local church. And then various kinds of tongues. Mm. The Greek glosse or something close to that is a word that means language. Various kinds of language or various kinds of languages here. If we were to translate this directly and for the purpose of clarification, various kinds of languages. There are people who will be able to learn other languages more quickly than others. It's a spiritual gift. There are those who will come to speak other languages. And I have heard in even an hour day of missionaries going to a nation, they did not speak the language, but when they spoke, the other nation heard in its own language, or the people of the other nation heard in its own language. And that's exactly what is in view here when Paul refers to tongues here. And then Paul in verse 29 refers to something he wrote previously, that spiritual gifts will be withheld from people for the purpose of unity and edification and honoring one another in our weaknesses. All are not apostles, missionaries, are they? Now, wait a minute. I'm a big fan of Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Right? That was Spurgeon. That was Charles Spurgeon. And here Paul says, not all are missionaries, are they? Here he's referring to someone with that particular spiritual gifts. All Christians are to practice evangelism. That, I think, is what Spurgeon got at, no matter what context you are in. But here Paul is referring to a, a spiritual gift of evangelism, which is different. Just like all Christians are to go make disciples, but only some have the gift of teaching, right? All Christians are to practice evangelism, but only some have a special ability to evangelize the nations and evangelize their communities and cities and counties and states. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? You see here, Paul has added something in that he didn't mention in his list. That of interpretation. And he left something out that was in his previous list. Helps. So I think here he's actually talking about the same thing, right? That the gift of helps before was 
helping people understand what was being said. Interpretation. And I think Paul has that particularly in view because I think in the church at Corinth, there was a, a controversy surrounding the gift of tongues. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore, does it? It says, all do not interpret, do they? And this reveals something very intriguing about the gift of tongues. It is not something that was unintelligible. Tongues, that's a gift that could be interpreted. It was intelligible. The words being spoken meant something, and somebody knew what they meant. Or the person speaking in tongues might know what they mean, but if someone has the gift of interpretation, they can hear and know what's being said. These are intelligible words. They are not made up words. They are not gibberish. Whatever is being spoken in tongues, languages, it is intelligible. It has meaning behind it. All do not interpret, do they? Paul here is reminding the congregation, not all of you are going to have all these spiritual gifts, and certainly not all of you are going to speak in tongues. And certainly not all of you will be able to interpret. And when he mentions speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, I can't help but think all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, to the Tower of Babel, where people started promoting themselves, getting, what, puffed up in their knowledge and in their capabilities and in their human religion, exalting themselves We'll build a tower all the way to heaven. We will reach the heavens. We will exalt ourselves. And God said, nope. I've made them capable of succeeding at this, but I'm not going to let them do it, right? I, I created them in my image. They are capable of exalting themselves, but I am going to humble them. So God scattered them, confused their languages. The whole world was speaking in tongues. I think at Pentecost, we get, a, we get a picture of, a reverse picture of the Tower of Babel, right? So at Pentecost, Pentecost, the tongues of fire come down, representing the Holy Spirit. They land on the apostles, and people heard tongues. Yes, that one being the apostolic sign gift, the sign that the Holy Spirit had come into the apostles. And that happened a couple more times in the book of Acts to different groups as the Holy Spirit descended on those groups, but not after that. Now the gift of tongues is something Different, But at Pentecost, there was an undoing of the Tower of Babel because Christ was establishing his kingdom, exalting himself, humbling humankind. And so those who are in the kingdom of heaven are no longer under the curse of Babel. And that's what Pentecost represented. And now Paul's talking about tongues and having an interpreter. Like before this, you'd have different groups in church, and if they spoke different languages, you'd be out of luck, right? You couldn't reason together. But the kingdom of God is diverse. And Paul expects here that people in the congregation will speak different languages, and that someone will have the gift of tongues to communicate in different languages, and that someone will have the gift of interpretation in order to interpret different languages so that the kingdom of God is no longer bound by the curse of Babel and the way the local church operates is no longer bound by the curse of Babel and you think about the way Christ is like taking over the world and he provides technology now that translates which is amazing 
right? He provides technology that translates, and he provides people who are capable of translating. He provides technology for the local church such that one person can be preaching in one language and people sitting in the pews can be hearing in their own native language. Whether we have somebody interpreting in earbuds in people's ears or whether we have devices set up to automatically interpret what's being said and people put earbuds in their ears, like God is undoing Babel because Christ is taking the world over. And every day, more and more languages become understandable by the use of the technology and the personnel that God has provided. And have you ever thought about how miraculous it is that any one person speaking one language could ever first learn another language and then interpret it for others? Like that seems like an impossible feat. But not if, not if Christ is undoing the curse and not if he is taking over the world and providing that for humanity. That's what the gift of tongues is about. And people get real shallow with the gift of tongues and interpretation, don't they? Oh, you're coming to Christ and you're getting baptized and you must speak in tongues in order to signify that you have actually received the Holy Spirit. Well, that makes Christianity very individualistic. And that exalts us rather than Christ. But if Christ is taking over the world and renewing the world from the curse of Babel, all of a sudden the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation, they exalt Christ and advance the kingdom of Christ and they humble and they humble us. So that I think is what is going on here. Verse 31 but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And wait. I thought, I thought no gift was greater than the others. Oh, I mean, only from our human perception, right? Now, Paul here, he acts a lot like Paul. And his sarcasm begins to show just a little bit, I think. But you, Corinthians, earnestly desire the greater gifts. It's not a command. It's... He's pointing out the fact that they desire what they perceive to be the greater gifts. I earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way than that. Like, there is a better way to live. So there are so many Christians in so many places, so many people who profess to be Christians, so many places who long for spiritual gifts, who long for a manifestation of the Spirit that isn't yet there in the midst of their congregation. Like something is wrong if the Holy Spirit isn't manifesting in, in tongues and healings and interpretations and prophecy, like we define prophecy and all of that. Like something is wrong if the Holy Spirit is not manifesting. But if, if they think something's wrong, then they must think something is wrong with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes according to his own will, not according to ours. And we can't manipulate the Holy Spirit, right? By doing anything. So, we are wrong from the start when our desire is to have spiritual gifts that are not present within the congregation that the Holy Spirit, by His will, has withheld. Which is why Paul says, I am going to show you a more excellent way, and an even more excellent way than desiring the spiritual gifts. I'm going to show you a more excellent way than trying to get the Holy Spirit to come down. 
because the Holy Spirit's already there and because the Holy Spirit is operating according to the Holy Spirit's will, not yours, I am going to show you a better way to live. And that is Paul's introduction to chapter 13. 